This is The E-Commerce Leader, a show just for you, the owner of a thriving online business. In this bite-sized episode, Jason and Kyle share a practical tip that every e-commerce leader should know. Let's jump in. We're really into this last phase of this whole topic, 32 Habits. We broke it down into sort of four phases. And so this is the, the fourth phase. And this is all about business scale and e-commerce business scale. And, um, you know, I saw an interesting statistic the other day that showed the breakdown of Amazon sellers by how many sell under $100,000 a year. Have you seen wow. this chart? It was kind of interesting. I haven't it seen the like, chart, but it's yeah. like, uh, it'd it was be like under 140,000. It was like 50% of all FBA sellers are under $100,000 a year. And yeah. then, you know, between like 100,000 and a million, it was a much smaller percentage. You know, it kind of goes down like that. Um, so that was really, really interesting. But so the question for all of us is how do you go from this seed little kernel startup of an idea to something that scales into six figures and beyond and seven figures. Right. And um, so, you know, when we started to work on this, I'll, I'll never forget. Um, it took us to our fourth year to get to $100,000 in sales. And that was a long time, you know, it took a, a long time. So this whole question of how do you scale um, is critical. And I know with our coaching students and our um, inner circle students, we've seen and now, you know, a lot of people's success stories mm -hmm. and how they do it. And, um, you know, so we've learned from them, learned from our own businesses as well. We sold millions online at this point and uh, really seen sort of how, how this stuff works at scale on both Shopify and Amazon. And so uh, that's what we want to talk about today is a sort of kick this off. Um, and really with the hope that everybody watching this, wherever they're at, will be able to figure out how to um, take that next step financially and go to that next level where they're, uh, you know, where, where you are watching this, you're happy with where you're at with your sales volume. So the, the first thing I want to talk about today is this idea of business math mastery. And, uh, you know, I think of people um, really that the e-commerce rainmakers who really figure out how to scale, they're exceptionally good at what I call business math. And this is not, you know, eighth grade algebra stuff. This is the basics. It's really just a lot of, um, you know, the basics of math applied to your specific discipline. And, but you'd be surprised how many times people are confused by the super, super basics of e-commerce math. And um, so, you know, this is what um, is super important. And I, I break it down into a couple different ideas. And every business will have different core math concepts that you have to work through. But the, there are some that are universal across a lot of different businesses. And the, the first one, and I, I know it sounds sort of super basic, but it's, it has to be said. And it's super important to understand. And that's really the difference between sales volume and profit. And, you know, when you're first starting out online as, as an e-commerce seller, you get super, super amped up when you make a sale. And, yep. you know, it's like, I, I found something I could sell and it's selling. And, you know, you get this super um, emotional sugar high on the idea that you, you can sell stuff. And that lasts for a couple years. Um, in my experience, I've been doing this for over 10 years now. And I've seen a lot of people go through this cycle into it for a couple of years, you're really focused on just sales. Yep. Um, but then you hit a point where you flip a switch 
and you really start to realize that sales volume isn't actually the number that matters the most. It's actually net profit um, or income. Right. And, uh, so, you know, because unfortunately there are businesses that can sell millions and even billions of dollars online and offline that are not profitable. Yeah. And so then it's kind of like at the, you know, at that stage, it's like, what was it all for if it wasn't profitable? So this idea of sales volume versus, you know, net profit is the most fundamental business math to master. And uh, I, there's a few others that I want to mention, but Kyle, what are your thoughts on that? Have you seen that play out in your own business too? Yeah, for sure. Definitely. We got to the point where um, we wanted to, to scale the, the sales. I mean, that's still obviously the goal, but yep. there becomes a, a, a need, not just a want, but an actual need to focus in on your net profit because the, the amount you're taking home and then, you know, trying to scale out uh, a business and it requires capital. And so if you don't want to go into a ton of debt and sort of bringing in all this additional outside money, you have to scale it um, with the capital that you generate. And the only way you do generate that capital is by profit. So if your margins are super thin, your available, your ability to scale is super slow Yeah, without an outside cash. And so, and like those, a lot of these companies that are, you know, been uh, running in the red or, or running the red, do so because they take in a ton of external cash. Like they right. have, they do multiple rounds, round or, yeah. rounds or outside investing. Yep. And, or they, they've gone public and now they're just playing their plan with the public's money or investors yep. money. Uh, like Uber is one of them uh, that, you know, blow through tons of cash. Uh, Amazon for the longest time, was uh, in the red because they were hyper focused on acquiring customers and building technology, and so they're dumping all of the revenue back into um, uh, new new technology pieces like Amazon right. Web Services and yeah. then FBA networks and like and now that that stuff's starting to mature, now they're just like now they can do it yeah, at scale, right? Yeah. So now they can just crank out billions of dollars in. Right. Analysts still look at it and be but like, "But we're not mm -hmm. Amazon, right? You're not well, Amazon. Well, you, you, not and, Amazon. And you're not going right. to go probably take Borrow. your company public yeah. least, uh, for a long time, yeah. and if ever, yeah. And so you have to focus on sort of that that profit margin because that's where your scale comes from. That's where your right. that's where your if you want to go full time as an e-commerce and have the lifestyle that you want." You have to make enough for it to not only cover the amount of money you need to generate, but also the amount of money your company needs in order to to grow if that's, yeah. your, if that's your goal. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, and it does become a cash flow constraint yeah, in many ways. Yeah, and that becomes a huge part of it. Um, I've just, I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of this book. I think I mentioned it in the last time we chatted about um, Phil Knight's book, the founder of Nike, Shoe Dogs. You got if you're interested in this whole issue of sourcing in Asia and also in financing your way into uh, scale, you got to you got to read his book. I listened to it on audio. It's the best one of the best books I've listened to in a long, long time. And it's all about his journey of finding capital to source his you know, product and uh, that whole journey he was on. It was it's incredible. So that's a huge part of it. I um I'll never forget as it relates to business math this guy I used to work with his name was marty and um he was a vp over a certain product area and everybody knew 
that when you met with Marty, you would hear him do Marty math, which was what we all called it, <laughs> because he was so incredibly, he had done his, you know, certain product for like 30 years. So he was so incredibly familiar with his numbers for his type of product line that he could just rattle off things. You know, you'd say, well, what if we did it this way or that way? And he could do the math in his head, like so fast. He could do it faster than you could do it on your calculator because he had Marty math on full lockdown. And it was like almost like a magic trick mm -hmm. to see, but it was a, it was a result of his long-term obsession with these numbers relevant to his business. And I think that's the challenge I would like to, you know, issue to all of us is, you know, you just don't learn this stuff doing it for two months. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you've got to sell something for, for a while, years even, before you really, really start to understand the mathematics involved at scale and know your numbers inside and out. And I think that's a super important thing to realize is that this stuff takes time to absorb and yeah. to really understand because they're moving parts in many sides of an e-commerce business that you have to look really master. Um, right. So I always remember Marty and Marty math. Um, but of course there are other things that are very common in terms of business math. Cost of acquisition is something mm -hmm. that most of the time, like when Kyle and I are working with uh, inner circle students or with uh, you know, our other students, it's, for, it's very common for us to ask the question, what's your cost of acquisition? And people don't know. Right. If you don't know how much your cost of acquisition is, then how do you know how much to spend to acquire a customer? How do you know how to scale? So these are fundamental questions that you have to work on to really get to the point where you can say, okay, we know our business math really well. Um, so I just, I just I challenge everybody who's listening to this. This is the kind of thing that you work on. It's almost like yeah. in anything, um, the, the, the trade skill or, you know, you work on it and work on it, work on it. You never master it completely, but you focus on attaining mastery in that area. And uh, so that's the first, that's the first thing I want to mention today. Second thing I want to mention today is um, really what you might call understanding pricing strategies for your uh, specific product area and pricing strategy mastery, I guess you could say. Um, the understanding of pricing strategy sounds very simplistic when you first say like, Hey, you have to understand pricing strategies, but you'd be surprised how many people get a good thing going and they fall into something that actually is working. And then they make pricing decisions and pricing choices that actually, uh, you know, stop the success and mm -hmm. pricing decisions are one of the most important aspects. It's really tied to business math. Um, one of the most important aspects of getting your e-commerce, uh, you know, sales at scale. And there are a lot of different parts of, uh, you know, pricing strategy mastery. One of them, of course, is just getting an understanding of, um, you know, the ideas related to loss leaders and how you can set up a series of price points for your customer so that your customer has a, a series of prices at which they can jump in and interact with your brand, your product line, uh, your company. Right. Um, I'm a huge fan of free, <laughs> as I like to say, if it's free, it's for me. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, for us, having a freemium model is crucial. We run our digital goods business with a freemium model. And so we love to give away free items at scale. 
And um, so, you know, I would challenge any of you in any niche, if you can figure out how to have a digital good associated with your product and how to give away that digital good at scale for free as an acquisition strategy, you will help yourself tremendously. Um, I'll never forget the story of Jell-O brand, uh, you know, Jell-O, like raspberry Jell-O. Uh, you know that stuff's made out of bone marrow from animals? So did you know the story of this of Jell-O brand product? Uh, I think I may have heard it, but it's been a so while. The, so the, the guy who came up with Jell-O, was, this was in like the 1850s or something like that. No one wanted to buy it. It was disgusting. I mean, it was like, why would you want to have Jell-O? But because, so he didn't know how to get anybody to buy it. But then he started working on the marketing more and more. He came up with this idea of having a booklet of like, I don't remember how many recipes were in it, but like, you know, 30 recipes for Jell-O. And he would go and he had a wagon that had a band on it, like a whole musical band, and they would ride into town. That was the idea of the bandwagon. That's the phrase, the band, get on the bandwagon. That was from Jell-O brand marketing. And they would do a band on this wagon and they would hand out the recipe booklets for free. Mm -hmm. And to all the ladies and, you know, the families that were standing there and then the, they'd go into the mercantile shop and say, Hey, you better stock up on jello because everybody's going to be coming in and asking for it. They did that from town to town across America, handing out their free booklet. And that's how they built their sales system for jello. And the rest is history, of course, but you've got to have some type of pricing strategy that makes sense for your customers. Um, Kyle, your thoughts on pricing strategy for Lita? I know yeah. on Amazon, there's uniqueness here too, as well. Amazon has its own unique challenges related to pricing stuff. For sure. I think um, pricing strategy for me depends on where I'm at in the product life cycle. Yeah. So a new product will have a different pricing strategy than a more mature product. Also, I'm thinking through like, how do I offer multiple price points for that product? Mm -hmm. So can I package it with other things? Can I bundle it? Uh, can I maximize my my order value both um, on Amazon, off Amazon? So that's where that comes to mind for me. Like, how do I increase that, and how do I offer uh, complementary products together with it in order to offer a more of a higher priced sort of product? So when you say that it has to do with the maturity of your product. Sure. Unpack that a little bit. Sure, what, sure. what What is the dynamic there where you have a new product with a different price point than a older right. product? Would have? Yeah. So particularly for Amazon, I'm more willing and have to have a break even price point okay. in order to generate um, organic reviews in order to get sort of sales velocity going yeah. as opposed to a more mature product that already has reviews. And I have a pretty much a good range um, price range that I've tested and I know. So I, I can, I mean, I can tell you, so for the medium product uh, and also it's seasonal pricing is sure. also seasonal yeah. because okay. if it's, if it's Christmas, people, People are going to pay more for your product than they would at other times of the year. Like I can yep. get away having a higher price point because demand is there. They want to buy a gift. They're not really concerned on what that price is there. I mean, if it's within, you know, 20%, 30%, even above what it would be in say, right this time of the year in May there, it's all good. It's going to sell. Uh, so seasonality is another uh, component to understanding what your pricing model is. 
but then I, I can, so for like our medium sized book, I know that I can sell it at about, um, $17 during Christmas time, 1695, right around that point. Um, I know I can also sell it like crazy for like say $12 cause it's a lot cheaper, yeah. but the optimum price point for it in terms of profitability for me, for that book is right around 15 bucks. Okay. At 15 bucks, I get this, the, the right amount of sales velocity and the right amount of profitability to, to be maximized. So that uh, uh, throughout the year through testing this is only, you only learn this by testing it. Um, that is where that sort of uh, is the optimal price point for now. Now it doesn't mean very, I can't run sales or sure. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm running other things to try to spike demand or whatever I want to do. But I know yeah. based on the numbers that this price point produces yep. the highest amount of daily profit. Gotcha. Okay. Fascinating. And then that'll change over the course of time. That, that will change yeah. over time. That also, that also will change depending on how we position new products that we release as well. So part of the strategy is we may, uh, we're talking about is actually launching a little even, even a higher quality product. I mean, our product's pretty high quality in terms of um, the paper and stuff like that, but we're, we're talking about actually taking it up an entire another level and it'll be, it's be a pretty cool product when it's, when it's developed, but that might, actually drive the current price down for the current book because sure. we're inserting another higher level kind of product in there. So now yeah. we might be able to sell this book even at a little bit lower price yeah. and hopefully kind of use it as a, as a more of a mid range product line. So, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll never forget reading about pricing. There's a lot of great books on uh, pricing, by the way. Um, maybe we can link some up or mention some um, in the comments. I'd go through my library and, and mention a few, um, that I, I might recommend to people. One of the stories I'll never forget is about the, the ultra expensive fashion retailers, like the purse makers, that kind of thing, Dolce and Gabbana and other, you know, other purse makers. One of the things that Chanel like that, one of the things that they do is they'll have an ultra, ultra expensive item prominently displayed in their, you know, front of their showrooms you know, like the $6,000 purse mm -hmm. and knowing full well that very, very, very few people are going to buy that purse, but then they'll have the $600 version right, right. next to it. And the $6,000 purse is really designed to be an anchor yeah. in the mind of the customer so that the customer thinks to themselves, wow, this is the range of which, you know, is amazing, but I'm not going to buy a $6,000 purse, but they still want the brand. And they still want to participate in the experience of buying. And so they'll buy the lower item. Um, but then on occasion, of course, somebody will buy the $6,000 purse, so, you know, which um, is obviously a, a great thing for the company. And so understanding how to position your prices, uh, like, you know, you just described is crucial as well. Yeah. I imagine the margin on a $6,000 purse is pretty high. Wow. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> we were just wandering around the Honolulu Outdoor Mall. Uh, it's the, they say it's the largest outdoor mall in the world. We were there yesterday. Wow. It's, uh, it's amazing. And they've got all those super high-end stores there wandering through those. are just fascinating, you know. Uh, but yeah, you see, you see this kind of strategy play out. And so as a product marketer, you've got to think to you know, yourself, no one else is going to tell you how to do this mm -mm. for your product. Yeah, and you can't just copy other people like, oh, I'll just do it like they do it. You've got to think it through for yourself. Like, 
and Kyle, as you just mentioned, related to your profitability, you know, you know your numbers and you've got to think through this pricing dynamic right. uh, for your situation. And, and honestly, it's a, ma a mastery issue. Uh, it's a habit for those real rainmakers who have nailed e-commerce at scale. And, but they've, they've, you know, built their, their credibility in that space over time by learning how to do this for their product yeah. lines. And, sure. and your pricing can't stay static because yeah. it's in, you don't, you don't Dynamic. sell inside of a, a closed system. You sell in a much broader ecosystem with competitors. Yeah. Wow. That I don't thunder. know if you could hear that. That was thunder. Apparently it's lightning and thunder happening here in uh, the great North Alaska. Mount, Mount Rainier about to blow up. <laughs> uh, you know, that all, all the volcano activity is happening in your neck of the woods. I know that's true. <laughs> um, oh my gosh. What I was going to say is that you don't, you're not in a closed system. So yeah. If your competitors come in and just lower their price point, that's going to impact your sales. So you have to have awareness of what's going on in the market yes. and have some sort of counter strategy in play if you care. If you're at the top of the market and maybe you're the trend market setter and you're just like, I'm cool with it. I'm just going to run the way I'm going to run it. Then you don't have to worry about it. If you're trying to take market share from another company that's bigger than you, then right. you have to be paying attention to how they are doing their pricing strategy, yep. what their offering is, what their targeting looks like. So because you're playing catch up, you're trying to you're trying to take over the castle and um, and cross the moat. So yep. you have to be aware of those things. Absolutely, yeah. No, so pricing is is absolutely interesting. You, and there's just so much there in terms of strategy to work on. And um, so it's, it's one of those areas that's just an absolutely crucial area for e-commerce rainmakers. Third area that I wanted to mention today is taking advantage of unique opportunities. Um, I, there's just something about e-commerce rainmakers that find a way to get their product or themselves inserted into unique and interesting opportunities that other people who struggle just don't. And this is to some degree a PR skill. To some degree, it's, um, I guess you might say, awareness of opportunities, taking advantage of unique opportunities and it, with an eye for how it could impact your sales. Um, and, you know, this is something that um, is sort of a, a trade skill that you have to work to master. Some people sort of gravitate towards these things uh, on their own and others don't. But all in all, it's something that you've got to work towards. So a couple examples come to my mind. Uh, I'll never forget we uh, when we were just starting out like 10 years ago, um, we saw one of the major sewing machine companies, uh, Bernina, was having a contest to have a brand ambassador. This is almost 10 years ago. And the contest was basically make a video and submit your video and um, we, the, you know, they're going to choose from the best videos. Well, we didn't know about the contest until there were like, I think it was like four hours <laughs> left. And there were only like three entries. And one of them was like spam. And the other two, honestly, were just not, you know, on point. And so we, we looked at it and we're like, oh, my gosh, just saying you're a brand ambassador for Bernina is, you know, a big credibility boost. So, we, you know, Cinnamon and I are like, hey, could we do this? So she knocked out a video, edited it real fast. It was really funny and cute. And uh, she did funny things like on her own sewing machine. It had a little post-it that said, I wish I was a Bernina. You know, just little funny things like that that she knew they would like. And, of course, she won the contest. And she was a brand ambassador for them for, you know, years. 
Um, and so that was a unique opportunity that allowed us to have um, what you might call a favored position mm -hmm. in the marketplace for her as a, you know, a, a designer. We could say Cinnamon Miles, brand ambassador for Bernina because of a couple hours of video work and we took a chance to enter this contest. And, you know, there's so many examples like that that I um, can think of where other e-commerce sellers have found their way to find, you know, these unique opportunities and jump into them. Death Wish Coffee comes to mind. Mike Brown, of course, got hit Super Bowl commercial by entering, you know, the um, Intuit Small Business Contest and winning it and uh, put his brand Death Wish Coffee in front of the whole, you know, Super Bowl commercial audience uh, because he won a contest. Um, yeah. And so seeing examples like that, just fascinating. Thoughts sure. on unique opportunities? Um, yeah, that actually uh, stirred up some, some ideas that I'd had. Uh, and someone I had recently talked to, actually one of their PR strategies is entering small business competitions because there is a ton of niche specific ones right. geographically located. So this is, this is a, 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 a hot tip, yeah. a free, free advice right here on, on, on doing this because they're all over the place. Just Google small business competition yeah. and, uh, and see what happens. I saw there's a, a vendor for uh, Amazon sellers who just sent out an email, it's their email list, talking about how they won a, uh, a, a contest from, I think it was Salesforce, I think, um, yeah. that did it. So they won like 100000 or something like that, $150,000 uh, for this small business competition that they were in. And then there's a bunch. And then now the cool thing about it is you can leverage that in all of your media and what you're producing. I mean, like once you win something like that, you get to tell everyone about it and it just exactly. drives awareness and brand and growth. And yeah, absolutely. I know it was fun for you. This is opportunistic for you to have your uh, journals featured on the blacklist a month or two ago. Right. I, it was, yeah. it was so fun. That was so fun because I was the one who saw it. Did, I was yeah. watching my the blacklist, which was my like favorite show. And uh, so then I, and I see them pick up a journal and I'm like, Hey, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's Kyle's logo. So then I paused it, you know, rewound it. I, you know, I took a picture and then yeah. zoomed it in real big. Yeah. yeah. It to Kyle. I was like, Kyle, is this Lita art supply journal in the blacklist? And well, uh, that was no, like, you, you sent it to me, right? Yeah. You, you sent it to me and you're like, is this your logo? And I'm like, Oh, right. Where right. is that? Like, like what, where, where are you seeing that? Cause it's like this zoomed in like blurry logo. And I'm like, where, like, where is he seeing that? And he's like, dude, it's on TV right now. It's like, <laughs> like pause on my screen. I'm watching yeah. television. It's on this blacklist show. And that yeah. was super cool. Yeah, no. And now, so what's interesting is you guys didn't actually do anything to make that happen, but now you're doing mm -hmm. some stuff to follow on to sort of capitalize on right, that success, right. which of course is, I mean, it's like, if you can't be, if you can't initiate it in the first place, at least when good things happen, you can figure out how to capitalize on yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're totally leaning into it and uh, using it and to launch some different product ideas as well that we're pretty yeah. excited about. But we've yeah. also, I mean, we talked a lot about it online and got a lot of like retweets yeah. and engagement, um, yeah. social media. And it's just a huge, huge, huge credibility and social proof piece yeah. to have your journal 
featured or, or you know, as a prop, basically, on a major TV show. Yeah. It's just absolutely fantastic. So, so this is the idea for e-commerce rainmakers: is you want to have your ear to the ground on these unique opportunities. Some of them might be just very niche specific for your industry or your product. Uh, you know, demo, you know, section of the of the you know commerce. But others of them might be more mass media, um, and you just take a flyer and try to do something out with um, you know TV or or media outlets, that kind of thing. Um, there's always, of course, a help a reporter out website, H-A-R-O, help a reporter out. They're constantly looking for um, people to feature in stories. And I don't, we, I don't take advantage of this enough. We probably should take advantage of this more, me and you, should, yes. um, and help a reporter out more. But there's, that's just one simple way to um, get into this position so you can go check out that website helperreporterout.com and really start to master the idea of taking advantage of unique opportunities mm -hmm. and this of course goes in the realm of PR it also goes into the realm of business relationships working with partners um, finding unique ways in which you can have your product attached to other companies or other products and really going down that track of trying to be collaborative rather than uh, competitive. And I think that's a key phraseology that I would like to just sort of end on here is that um, as a product marketer, you really, you have one of two mindsets. You have a competitive mindset where you, you don't trust other business owners. You see them all as your competitors, even if they're in a different industry. Or you have a collaborative mindset. Where you say to yourself, well, I know my numbers well enough and I know what I'm doing well enough that I can be confident in what I'm doing and not be threatened constantly. And I can look for collaborative opportunities. Right. And I really think that taking advantage of unique opportunities means having the confidence in your business and your product and your skill sets to be open to um, working with others. And that's actually a difficult discipline to foster, especially because some people are wired to be super like, no, right. no, 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 right, you know. Right, yeah. um, and so it takes a discipline to say, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust some people. I'm going to find ways to be collaborative and to take advantage of these unique opportunities to bless people, to be yep. effective with other people and, and let them be effective uh, in collaborating with me as well. And, um, and I think that's a, a key part of going to scale um, is learning how to master that skill. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think it, it goes back to the beginning of this, these conversations and having the right mindset. And you can yeah. have a mindset of scarcity, which only sees, you know, like there's only just enough customers in the world that will help you survive. Or you can have a, a mindset that's abundant that says, man, there are so many people out there that my products that can help, that my brand can serve. There's yeah. never going to be a shortage of people. It's about how can I be focused on serving them and partnering with others to make it uh, work. And yeah. if you can flip that switch, that will be the, the type of leadership that you'll need to, to kind of steer your companies forward to, bunt to growth and success that you're hoping to create as a rainmaker. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree, man. Totally agree. All right. So we've got business math mastery. We've got understanding pricing strategies, and we've got taking advantage of unique opportunities. Three more amazing 
habits of e-commerce rainmakers. And uh, so it's good stuff. So if you're watching this today and you've enjoyed this, give us a like, love, comment, share, um, share it with your friends. Let them know about this whole series. You can find all of these videos on winning on Shopify.com. We basically are blogging and embedding these videos into the uh, blog. So we've got all of the prior sessions uh, saved there for you. So you don't have to go anywhere else. Just winning on Shopify.com. Also love to invite you to join our inner circle program where we work with people one-on-one, our, all of our students one-on-one, and really help them scale their business and apply um, you know, understanding and prior education activities that we've done, our courses and contacts, ideas that we have, resources to help scale your business. So if you're interested in learning about a group of people that are dedicated to e-commerce mastery and really working together to grow e-commerce sales, then consider joining our inner circle program. It's 19 bucks a month. And uh, so you can't beat that. And um, we're trying to make it really, really um, doable for everybody. And then of course we do one-on-one consulting and coaching as well. Uh, You can find out about all of that on winningonshopify.com and uh, jump in with us. Other thoughts, Kyle, before we wrap up? I, I would check it out. I mean, it's, it's definitely worth it. Inner Circle is pretty awesome. And if, if you've definitely enjoyed uh, this training and the previous trainings, definitely share it if it's on Facebook, uh, like, comment, and weigh in. We'd love to hear what, what's going on in your business, even if it's on the, this Facebook post. Uh, let us know how we can help you because we're here to ultimately serve you and to help you get your business from point A to point B and accomplish your goals. And we can't do it if you don't uh, engage with us. And that's, no what, we, that's what we want to do. Like yeah. We want to engage with people. No doubt. Good thought, man. All right, buddy. Well, I'm going to wrap it up because honestly, I'm going to go swimming in the pool. <laughs> yes, that's right. Well, I'm going to go see if it's uh, going to like <laughs> thunder and lightning down as I walk out to uh, walk outside. So right, be safe. Don't let I will. It'll be all good. And it, I, you know, have, have just an amazing time lounging around in the pool and on the beach and uh you know just have have a good time there in hawaii thanks man appreciate it yeah it's gonna be warm here by the way 80 degrees so can't beat that not hawaii 80 but still i'll take it (laughs) all right dude all right man. later enjoy hawaii see ya bye Thanks for listening to this episode of The E-Commerce Leader. Hey, don't forget to subscribe because when you do, you'll get notified. And next time you log into your podcast player, you'll see our latest episode nestling at the top of your lists. Thanks again for listening.